Hello, uh, once again, during that last song, there are some of you I know who can sing, all my life you have been faithful. And you sang that worship song and you believe it. You know that it's true. My hope is that by the end of our time here today, the end of the, the, the rest of our time we have here in this space, watching with us online, is that if you don't know that right now, that by the end of our time, you will have every opportunity to understand that all of your life, for all of your life, God has been faithful to you. We are wrapping up this series called We Didn't Start the Fire. It's a journey through 2,000 years of church history. And the overall idea is that we are not the ones who, who we are not the source of the light that Jesus is the light of the world. 2,000 years ago, he started a revolution of love, and it has been our responsibility for 2,000 years to fan that flame, to keep that flame going. Now, it just so happens that in our journey, we broke it down into five different eras of those 2,000 years, five different parts, and it just so happens that Billy Joel's song by the same name, We Didn't Start the Fire from 1986, just happens to have five verses in it. Wow. So uh, we, as warned, as warned in the past few weeks, uh, we have done a full version of the, uh, the church history version of the We Didn't Start the Fire song, and we are going to torture you with it right now. Okay, so here's the whole song. Here you go. Council of Chalcedon, Bible canon, dualism, what's a trinity? Martyrdom, Gnosticism, Nero and persecution, Cyril and Nestorius, early heresy. Developing Christology, questioning his deity, Irenaeus, Marcion, Rational, Tertullian, Roman law, Constantine, Confessions of Augustine, Clement and philosophy, the man who lost his origin. Didn't start the fire, it was always burning since the world's been turning. We didn't start the fire, but we did ignite it. Bonaventure, Aquinas, Charlemagne, Boniface, Visigoths, Ostrogoths, Lipoventini. Reason versus Revelation, Medieval Inquisition, Benedict of Nursia, Pope Gregory. Nunnery, Monastery, Anselmo, Canterbury, St. Francis of Assisi, Brazosites, Da Vinci, Wycliffe, Mohammedans, Xerxes, Saladin, Holy Rage, the Crusades, fighting for Jerusalem. Start the fire. Coin in the copper rings, purgatory soul springs, consubstantiation, counter reformation, 95 theses, challenging the diocese. Oh. 
Oh, Catherine and Boland start the Church of England. Henry VIII and the Pope, Edward is a no-go. Once saved, always saved, Luther redefining grace. Beza and Arminius, hail to Queen Elizabeth. Start the fire, it was always burning since the world had turned. Start the fire, though we did tonight, it will never hide it. Pietism, George Fox, mystical, unorthodox, Milton Bunyan, writing as Puritans, reason and enlightenment, religion tolerant, lesson, Wesley, building of the factories, I can't cure Kickard, Schreier, Macker, working hard, China, Inland Mission, Africa, Livingston, Taylor into China, Kerry into India, missionaries out the door, they can't take it anymore. Church variety, mere Christianity, Wimper, Graham, unexpected Vatican, postmodernism, global ecumenism, Tolkien, Bolton, Hybels, Warren, Maximilian Bonhoeffer, Elliot into Ecuador, MLK, blown away, what else do I have to say? Start the fire, was always burning, the world was turning, we didn't start the fire. I know why some of you are clapping, because you will never have to hear that again. That's it. We're, we're, we're done with the cold deal. Okay, so um, now we are moving into the fifth and final part of the journey. Part five is uh, really been the last century. It's been the 20th century. And this is where, you know, I know some of you, some of you like history and connect with all the historical stuff. Some of you, not so much, kind of have a, kind of a, an odd response to history and takes you back to, you know, classes that you didn't like and all that kind of stuff. But here we're looking at the past century. And so this whole journey, this is really where, kind of where the rubber meets the road. This is, this is where it gets, for many, for, for many of us, kind of sobering. Because we're not just talking about some ancient history, some stuff that happened a long time ago, men and women and decisions and conflicts and, and all sorts of things, documents that were written, you know, hundreds of years ago. Now we're talking about just the recent past. Now we're talking about our generation, our parents' generation, our grandparents' generation. This is stuff that it's not just pontificating some grand history this is real life. This is what's going on right now. This flows into how history flows into this year, this day, et, et, et cetera. This isn't just history. This is our story. Okay, so, so th this is where the thing uh, uh, comes together. And so um, uh, here we're looking at the, the, the 20th century. And the, the reality is, 
that you and I are part of this story. We say, realize your role in the story. We are part of this grand story of humanity. We are part of this 2,000-year journey to keep the fire alive. We are torch bearers in this journey, and we cannot let the fire go out on our watch. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray that there is inspiration, there is a reminder of the fact that we get to be part of this story, that the light was passed from generation to generation, and that allowed us to be here in this place here today, to watch online today. The light was, has been passed from generation to generation, and we have a responsibility to do that. Would you inspire us to do that well, to represent you well? In the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. This morning, I want to take a look at a verse. I really want to focus on a verse in Isaiah chapter 9. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn there. Isaiah is a prophet from the Old Testament. If, you're, if you have a Bible and you're looking for it, if you open up right in the middle, you'll probably get pretty close to Isaiah. Maybe in the middle, a bit to the right. And you'll find Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2. He writes this, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of deep darkness. A light has dawned. Isaiah, as I said, was a prophet. And here in chapter 9, he was speaking to the nation of Israel. He was speaking to the people in uh, Jerusalem before they were exiled out of the city before they were exiled into Babylon, kicked out of their own city. This was written about 700 years before Jesus, so long, long, long time ago. It was written to to a a, a city, uh, and it was a challenge to a group of people who believed that that this whole exile thing wasn't even possible. It wasn't, it wasn't possible that it was going to happen to them. I mean, after all, they are the people of God living in the city of David. There was no concern, no worry that anything bad was going to happen to them. God had provided for them. God gave a way through miracles to allow them to be in Jerusalem. God was not going to allow anything like that to happen. But it did. And so the reality for that... The, Isaiah was trying to address 700 years before Jesus was that in this city that is supposed to be beaming the glory and the light of God to the world around it, in this city, darkness was coming. And, and so what, what, we, uh, what we see here from this, uh, this verse and what carries into the 2,000-year church history story, what we've seen throughout the 2,000 years is that, is that darkness comes even where place, in places where light is supposed to shine, where light has shined, where, where God wants light to shine. Darkness continues to come, as we've seen throughout the 2,000-year story. If you remember in week one, we talked about the first few centuries and the new believers who were following Jesus, and they had to experience tremendous persecution. Thousands of Christians were killed by the Romans for, simply for entertainment, and then we saw that, the, that the, um, the followers of Jesus ended up um, being soldiers in these crusades where they were actually in the name of Jesus murdering and killing other people. 
And there was the inquisitions where, where people who were not followers of Jesus were tortured into confessions as a part of their experience, part of their journey. And then we have the, the Reformation, this, this uh, essential part of the 2,000-year journey in the 16th century where the church had become so powerful and, so, and had so much authority that no one was ever going to question it. There was such darkness that had come over the church and it took Luther and company to break through that. That what we see over and over again, time and time again, is that, is that there's darkness in this journey where light is supposed to be transferring from generation to generation. We see darkness time and time again. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. So we see that throughout the 2,000-year story, and we see that in this past chunk in the, in the 20th century. What we see over and over again is that there is darkness and there is light, that the darkness continues to penetrate and the light continues to shine. There is darkness and there is light. The 20th century, of course, early on started with the Great War. World War I, the war to end all wars, a war that the world had never seen before, where over 20 million people, 20 million souls died as a part of this multi-country experience. It was just the world had never seen anything like it. And yet, in the midst of all of that, there was a response for the, from the, the lost generation it was a group that was uh, referred to as the lost generation, those who came of age during the First World War or soon after that. They were so lost, they were so, so much in need of hope that there was this surge of spirituality, a surge of faith, such a desperate need for answers to these big grand questions that people had never asked before. How, how, could, how could we come to this place? And there was this revival, this explosion, a need for hope that comes through the gospel of Jesus. And then we roll into the depression of the 30s that led a desperate country of Germany to put their hope in the Nazi party which of course led to the beginning of an even greater war, a worse war, where over six million Jewish people were killed by the Nazis. And when all was said and done at the end of the Second World War, it's estimated that over 85 million souls died. As a part of this war, there was just two decades after the war that was supposed to end all wars. And yet, in the midst of the Second World War, there are people like Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who, um, who who's, it was in Germany, and, and some of you know his story and, and the writings that he did and the ways that he tried to make great effort to go against what was happening there and the influence that he has had on millions through his writings and his love for Jesus. His light continued to shine. We have stories like Corey ten Boom. If you've, ever, if you've never read The Hiding Place, it is a terrific story about faithfulness, about light in the middle of darkness. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And then skipping a few decades, we roll into the 70s, and, and people become anti-everything, anti-government because of Watergate, anti-war because of Vietnam, anti-censorship, don't tell me what to do, I want to be able to do whatever I want to do, anti-good taste in music for the whole decade. 
It was just anti-everything. And yet in the midst of the 70s, we have the Jesus movement. Are you familiar with the Jesus movement? Have you, were you part of it? Do you remember it? Have you read about it? This is this movement coming out of this, this, this anti-everything decade, this movement that transformed the church this movement that said, you know, the church is not supposed to be this building that just continues to, to get generations of, of people and kids will tell their kids to keep coming to church. The church is supposed to be something that is, to, that is penetrating the culture. And so because of the Jesus movement, there was a focus on, on a couple things. One of them was church music that music was now embracing rock and roll, embracing folk music and bringing into the church. Can, can't we bring this kind of style into the church so that we can connect with people who don't yet know Jesus? And so Christian music came out of the Jesus movement in the 70s that is now filling the radio waves uh, now today. Also coming out of the Jesus movement was a focus on youth ministry. That prior to then, it was just, hey, bring your young kids and torture them by having them sitting next, sit next to you in the midst of boring church. But coming out of the 70s was this idea of, let's take a section of our church and focus on them because they are the future of the church. Let's have games and excitement for them so that they can bring their friends and grow the church. There was church growth through the 70s that rolled into the 80s that, that the, the country had never seen before. And then we had the 80s which is, I have nothing bad to say because it was the greatest decade of them all. And then there was the 90s. And in the 90s, there was this development of, of this whole idea of postmodernism. There was this idea that we are now part of an era that is different than anything that has happened before. And one of the things that flowed out of postmodernism was the declaration that Western countries are now post-Christian. That, that it's this idea that that Christianity is done, it is done. It's like a graph where Christianity was building in some of these Western countries, but now we're in a post-Christian world where, where Christianity is now dropping off. So countries in Europe and Canada and the United States, it's, it's a post-Christian experience. Maybe Christianity will flourish in Africa and in South America, but here in the United States, it is a post-Christian experience. That's what the 90s were telling us. And yet, in the 90s, there continued to be churches planted, meaningful, community-changing church plants like Mountain Park Church. This very place that we gather in here was a part of this, this church planting movement, and leaders have continued to develop and grow. My guess is that most people here in this room either have access to somebody who was a leader who had influence on you or, or influence on somebody who had influence on you because of emerging leaders that came out of this era that was declared post-Christian. A people walking in darkness have seen a great light in the 20th century, there was also a movement called the Church of God. The Church of God is, is a movement that, that, that Mountain Park is proudly part of. We, we were planted as a Church of God church, and, and, and we continue to celebrate that. The Church of God started in the late 1800s, so it, it really has, all, it's only life that it's ever known is really the 20th century. It started late in the 1800s, and now we roll now into the 21st century, but the Church of God has essentially just been this 20th century movement. If you go to the website of the Church of God, which is jesusisthesubject.com, 
com or org, I can't remember. Jesus is the subject. If you go to the website of the Church of God, you'll find a mission statement that says this. We are in the reclamation business, expanding the kingdom of God by taking back what hell has stolen. Whenever a soul is redeemed, the kingdom expands. Whenever light penetrates the darkness, whenever justice prevails over injustice, whenever knowledge replaces ignorance, whenever healing mends what is broken, whenever freedom in Christ overcomes the bondage of this world, the kingdom expands. Hell has stolen much. Heaven's design is to take it back. And Jesus is the way. Isn't that awesome? That's this movement that rolls out of it. And, and it makes this declaration that, that, that hell is making efforts to take something away from you. Do you ever feel like darkness is stealing something from you? Do you ever feel like you wake up in the morning and it starts off great? You just, the first thing you think is, this is gonna be a great day. Your body is not aching. And so you can actually get out of bed without things hurting. And you can hear the, the birds singing outside. And, and the sun is shining through the, the, the window because we live in Phoenix. And that's what happens most of the time. For those of you who are living somewhere else, I'm sorry, but it's just gorgeous here in Phoenix. And so you wake up and you think this is going to be another beautiful day. Or this is going to be a beautiful day. And then something happens. It is something that your spouse says. It is your reaction to something that your spouse says, something that your kids do or they say. You get a phone call, you get a text, you check your email, you get to work and you're in that meeting and there's an interaction and you just think, what happened to this day? This, this was supposed to be a day of light and now it has turned into a day of darkness. Do you ever feel like darkness comes and steals a day from you? Maybe this past Thursday was a, was a wonderful day of thanksgiving and celebration for you. And on Thursday, you were intentional to identify the things that you are thankful for. We can all think of things that we are thankful for. And maybe you did that on Thursday and you ate well and you were with people that you loved and Thursday was a great day. And then Friday came and you did not get the deals that you wanted to get. And you're upset about that. And you liked the days when we used to actually go to the stores and push people out of the way so that you could get the items that you wanted. But now you're online and it's not really one day. It's spread out over a whole month and you can't get the deals you want. And that day that was supposed to be a day of light turned into a day of darkness. You ever feel like the darkness steals a day? See, darkness is not passive. Darkness is not just bad luck. Darkness is an attack. Darkness wants to steal your days. Darkness wants to steal the church. The church is the bride of Christ. It is, it is the community, the gathering people that are supposed to pass the torch from generation to generation. And we are to do that here in the community, etc. And yet, we have Sometimes, so often, in so many of our churches, we have controversy. We have disagreements. We have one half thinking one direction is better and another half thinking another direction is better. And we start fighting within another. There's an, ex ex an accusation. There's an assumption of what someone did or someone says, etc. And we have church splits. And the church, the bride of the Christ, is, is bleeding and wounded. Because darkness does not want the church to thrive. 
Darkness comes in and it steals marriages. We have affairs and we have lying and we have addictions and we have hopelessness and we have thoughts that come into our head like, I could have done better. We have thoughts that, you know, I'm not happy and I deserve to be happy. We have thoughts and experiences that are in our heads now that weren't in our heads when we stood at the altar and looked at one another in the eyes and told each other we would be with one another for, for the end of, till the end of days. Darkness wants to come and steal that most precious of human relationships. Darkness wants to come in and steal our kids. It, it wanted to steal you as a kid. Darkness comes in and brings a wound into a little person's heart. A, a wound, perhaps an unintentional comment or message that comes from a teacher or a peer or, or so often parents. A wound that, that somehow says a version of, you're not good enough. You're not important enough. And then that wound gets inside the, the little heart of a little girl or a little boy. And then we get older and we think, what, what, why am I struggling with this stuff? Why do I get so mad? And there's this stuff inside because darkness got in there. Darkness comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Darkness is, is a little girl who is so desperate for affection that she will get it from any boy that she comes in contact with. Darkness wants to steal. Darkness wants to steal 2020 by closing churches, closing schools, closing businesses, the stuff that you have worked hard for so that you can make money to take care of your family and all of that. Darkness comes in and wants to steal this year, wants to bring wants us to all walk away from 2020 and say, it was such a dark year. It was such a terrible year. Darkness wants to hold back the light and steal and kill and destroy. But if there's one thing that we can learn from 2,000 years of church history, that we can certainly see in the 20th century and that we can see here in this past year is that darkness will come. But no matter how dark it gets, no matter how, how dark and heavy the day seems, there is light. No matter how dark it gets, there is light. On those living in the land of darkness, which is something all of us can relate to, whether it's right now or sometime in the past, we can relate to this idea of living in the land of darkness. A light has dawned. Isaiah wrote this 700 years before Jesus even entered the scene in human form. This is Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2. And in the verse right before that, Isaiah 9.1, this is what Isaiah wrote. There will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. Now, for most of us, when we read Scripture, there are verses that jump out at us, verses like Isaiah 9, 2, verses that we read and we go, oh, I love that verse. I want to memorize that verse. I want to buy something that is framed and put that up in my house or put that up in my office. I want to 
tattoo that verse on my body. Those are great verses. We have verses in the Bible that we, that we love like that. But if we're honest, there are also verses that we tend to just skim over. There are also verses, if you've read large chunks of the Bible, not just one verse here or one verse there, but if you've read large chunks of the Bible, you know that there are sections where you kind of just skim over them. I had somebody just yesterday say he believes that he needed to just kind of skim over the whole book of Leviticus. Okay, that's a bit much, but, but, but there are sections, if we're honest, that we don't kind of soak in as much as other sections. And this would be one of those verses for most of us. But it wasn't for Matthew. Matthew, who was one of the 12 disciples of Jesus. One of the ones, young men who were fortunate enough to have been gathered in by Jesus to be one of the 12 disciples who would be the torchbearers who would pass it on to the next generation. And we're here because of this group of young men. Matthew, he also wrote one of the Gospels, and he wrote in chapter 4 of his version of the story of Jesus, beginning in verse 13, he said, leaving Nazareth, he's talking about Jesus here. Jesus went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulon, Zebulon and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah, land of Zebulon and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of the shadow of death. A light has dawned. Matthew did not skip over verse one because what he wanted to point out here was saying this this land, this actual piece of dirt, Zebulon and Naphtali and this, this area that is, that is north, this area that really doesn't mean much in the whole story, particularly when Isaiah was writing, it doesn't mean much in the whole story. Jerusalem was a big deal, but this area was a three-day walk north of Jerusalem. And Isaiah pointed it out. And Matthew wanted to point it out because it was this area by the Sea of Galilee, three days north of Jerusalem, this is where Jesus grew up. This is where Jesus was a young boy and developed and had friends and ran up and down the mountains, the the hills. This is where Jesus met with the 12 disciples and identified them and gathered them and started his ministry. Later on in Jesus' story, he moved south towards Jerusalem. And that's, of course, where he was, where the the Passion Week happened. And that's where the end of his earthly story. But, But his story began, and most of his story was up north in this area here. In other words, Matthew was saying, this light that Isaiah spoke about 700 years ago, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. This light that I'm talking about here today that we want to shine in our darkness and our days of darkness, it's not just positive thinking. It's not just a silver lining. It's not just optimism. You know, let's, let's be happy when things go bad. This light is Jesus. Jesus is the light of the world. Let's be super clear about this. If you remember from the, from the, the mission from the Church of God, the very last phrase, hell has stolen much. Heaven's design is to take it back, and Jesus is the way. It's not optimism. It's not wishful thinking. Jesus is the way. If at the beginning when I said Some of you just feel like you're sitting in darkness right now. If you feel like that's where you're at, if you feel like you want light to come, it is not about your own strength, your own ability to just be happy. 
What, what I'm saying and what this whole story is saying is that Jesus is the way. If you feel like you are, are in a pit and you've been trying to claw your way out of that pit based on your own strength, Jesus is the way. And this is a big deal because you need to get out of the pit because you are a torchbearer for the next generation. It's not just about us and whether or not we have a good day. We have a responsibility to keep the light shining, to say Jesus is the light of the world, and I get out of the pit by acknowledging Jesus as my Lord, and I surrender this day to him. I surrender this temptation to him. I surrender this this struggle, this part of my life that is not what I hope it would be. I surrender that to Jesus. Jesus is the way. It's not your own hopeful thinking. As we look at 2,000 years of this story, Jesus never gave up. He never gave up on a, on a people that just continued to stumble into darkness. In the 20th century, he never gave up on a world that was hell-bent on killing so many of each other through World War I and World War II. He never gave up on a generation in the 70s that just wanted to smoke pot and experience free love. He never gave up on a generation. He stirred up the Jesus movement. He never gave up on a country that was declared post-Christian. He never gave up, and he won't stop now. He never gave up on you. When you had that period in your life where you just wanted to sow your wild oats and you just wanted, you just said, I don't want to be bound by religion and faith and church. I want to experience what I want to experience. He never gave up on you. Thank God. He never gave up on you when you had that season of just ignoring faith and saying, well, I just, I just, I'm too busy. He never gave up on you when you actually got to the point where you thought you were better than everybody else and you just kind of, you just kind of got arrogant in your religion and your faith and your piety. He never gave up on you when you gave up on yourself and he won't stop now. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. He never gave up on you, and he won't stop now. We're going to sing one final song here. And as we sing this song, I just invite you to think about areas in your life where there is darkness. And would you just embrace Would you just allow your heart to absorb the truth that Jesus is the light of the world and he will never give up on you? Would you bow your heads with me? Father, I thank you. I thank you for your faithfulness throughout the 2,000-year story. I thank you that we are here because of men and women who have been brave, who have passed the torch from generation to generation. I thank you for grandparents represented in this room who have loved us, for parents who have loved us. Father, I pray for parents in this room who have the opportunity to pass this on to their next generation. May may the light continue to shine through us. God, I pray for any darkness that anyone here in this room is experiencing, feeling nervous about, held down by. Darkness has come in and it wants to steal. Hell wants to take something from us. And God, we, we proclaim, we take it back right here, God. 
Because we believe Jesus is the way. It's in his name we pray. Amen.